Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 89. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's fifth season episodes, New Ground, Hero Worship, and Violations. Here we go. New Ground, Season 5, Episode 10, Production Number 210, Original Air Date, January 6th, 1992, Directed by Robert Shear, Story by Sarah Charno and Stuart Charno, Teleplay by Grant Rosenberg, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Brian Bonzel as Alexander Roshenko, Georgia Brown as Helena Roshenko, Richard McGonnell as Jadar, Jennifer Edwards as Kyle, and Sheila Franklin as Felton. The Enterprise heads for Bailana 3 to participate in the testing of a new warp propulsion method called the Soliton Wave. Meanwhile, Worf receives an unexpected visit from his mother, Helena, and his son, Alexander. The Klingon surprise turns to shock when Alexander informs Worf that he plans to stay on the ship with his father. When you lie or steal, you not only dishonor yourself, but your family. You dishonor me. I'm sorry, Father. I won't do it ever again. I promise. Okay, new ground. You know, <laughs> I'm a semi-new father. Well, my son is going to be three soon. But I liked a bit when Worth said, um, I think it was Troy asked him how how he took it or something. What he's going to, I don't remember, but, but Worth just says, um, he is a child. I informed him of my decision. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh lordy, I wish it was like that. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, but it isn't. It is not like that, um, which uh, Worf quickly discovers. So, aside from the crazy um, speed with which young Klingons grow up, which we have talked about here before. We don't really need to repeat the conversation, but I think it's because they change actors, and when that happens, that makes you conscious of the fact that hey, Klingons grow up really, really fast. Mm-hmm. But yes. um, We've talked about that, so I'll let that one go. Um, oh, also, I'm just going to get it out of the way now, because it happens to have popped in my head. I don't understand, like, is the lab where they were keeping a... Um, alien creature why wouldn't they keep it in something that's a little more shielded I didn't understand that Like the first sign of it is going to get in trouble well that lab's going to be toast anything in there is going to be like you know irradiated or something so, right. so uh, put, uh, yeah. endangered species in yeah endangered species <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like that's like keeping you know a, a bald eagle in the room next to the <laughs> the nuclear reactor I don't know um, you know that didn't seem that didn't seem sound, but um, Steve, what were your first thoughts about about this one? An uh, interesting grouping of episodes that we have today to discuss. Yeah, um, I mean, it was certainly memorable. I I think it, with the with the actor we're most familiar with is Alexander. His first, you know, his first uh, episode. Um, and then I, I recalled all of the uh, struggles Worf went through early on as an as a new parent. So I mean the the, the episode, you know, it I recalled it well, and you know, there's some nice moments and so forth. I don't know that I have much else to say about that. You know, my first thought, and especially in light of hero worship, uh, which we're going to discuss next, it's it's so common. More more often than not, like more than half the time, Star Trek does an episode that focuses on a little kid or has a little, you know, a, a child guest star. The child is not a good actor. And, you know, there just aren't a lot of great child actors. Because mm-hmm. um, I think they kind of have it or they don't. It's, it's probably difficult to really teach a lot in the way that maybe you could an adult if they had some innate talent to begin with, at least. Um, at any rate, yeah, like here at Worship, the kid's okay. He's not the worst they've had, but he's not great. You know, and he, he holds it back um, in the way that any less than awesome guest star might. But this kid, Brian, what's his name? Bonzal or Bonzal. Bonzal. Or something. Bonzal. 
he's he's really good, you know, mm-hmm. he really is. So he he kind of stands out. And even though the episode, like the B story, is is pretty forgettable enough that I almost would have rather they not had it, but it's a different conversation. Um, he's so good as little Alexander that I just enjoy watching him, and it's fun, and I believe him. You know, I believe Worf is his father, and I believe Alexander is his son. Now, I'm never conscious of the fact that he's trying to act. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like an obvious kind of statement, maybe, but it's something you can't take for granted with a child actor, and especially when it's butted up next to hero worship, which is a lot more typical. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it just shows how much how much the episode really does have to do with uh, the performance and, and buying the characters. And if you don't have that, I don't care how great the script is. On the other hand, if you do have that and the script is just okay, like a new ground, it still leaves you with something, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you know, this is the, the more enjoyable of the three episodes we're going to discuss today, in my opinion. And I think... A huge chunk of that is is little Alexander. Worf, you know, Dorn's greatest Worf in the same way that Spiner is great as Data in Hero Worship, but if they don't have a good little guy to play next to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Caesar, you're being quiet. What do you what do you, what are your thoughts about this episode? No, I would agree. I mean, uh, I think he is the the actor the Alexander. Play, the actor who plays him does a really good job. I'm guessing they probably spent a little bit more time casting that role than they did a, a single episode, since they knew he'd probably be a returning character. Um, oh, in fact, I, I'll point out now that in fact that's why they recast is because the boy they had the, for the last time is Alexander. Um, they just felt like he was maybe too shy, or they, they just they were just concerned that he wouldn't be able to perform as a recurring character in a reliable way. Which is why they recast, and they specifically went with someone that had a track record on a series. This guy was, was you know, Bonsall was on, uh, I think it was Family Ties, but anyway, he was on a series in a recurring role. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, it's, it's fine. Um, what is the actor's name again? Bonsall. Bonsall. Well, no, he does a, He actually does a very good job, and he, it's a very memorable role. It's actually, um, I was one of the things that I was kind of disappointed with in DS9. When um you know the character Alexander returned that they didn't I mean I guess because they had to make him older and we, you already hit on that point that <laughs> Klingon kids grow really fast so it probably might not have worked out with um that actor in DS9. Um, the episode is pretty good. The first thing that I kind of noticed is that is that is human mother Helena. She kind of she kind of just kind of threw it on him is like hey yeah. show up for a visit yeah. um no here's your son um yeah um he's staying and I gotta go see him. You know, yeah, she doesn't even ask. She doesn't even like ask in the nice way that really means I need you to just do this. She just says this. He's, this he's is not gonna happen. Back. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like you know, you think you could have like at least called and been like, you know what, it's not working out here. I think Alexander needs to come live with you. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, you could point out that that's completely indicative of how little Worf has had to do with his son. Right. You know, that, that he's not because I mean, that's probably something he should have known or would have known if he'd been in regular communication with them but clearly yep. he was not um yeah the moments i mean you know i mean you can you, you can relate to this brian you know he basically has to become a father in a day those are you know those are amusing moments you know he's in picard's ready room and he keeps getting calls about his son and picard's like just get out of here go take care of your son that was kind of amusing mm-hmm. especially for Worf, who is you know you know he's just exploding inside because, you know, a duty for him comes before anything, even, you know, family. And this is... Which is, which is exactly why he sent him away, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is a, you know, you can tell this is a really big adjustment for Worf, and um, it's a good storyline, you know, and we'll get to enjoy the storyline. I, I remembered enjoying the um, Alexander character and that um, and that relationship between Worf and him, you know, in the several episodes that we see him in. Um, I, I think it's a good storyline, and you see a lot of growth in Worf. Um, DS9, they kind of just um, dropped it, and you know, and then they came back t- towards it towards the end. But um, yeah, the character Alexander, I kind of felt, yeah, you know, he kind of got um, cheated a little bit in DS9, um, to where he was in, um, you know, next gen. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, ask here. At this point, most Star Trek, most ships in in, in Starfleet, 
do still do not have children. It's still unusual. It's only like the big galaxy class stuff that would have families. Or is that not accurate? Like most ships at this point have families. And, and like, so let's say Kirk's era, none of no ships had families. I don't know if they firmly established that. Uh, the only thing, only clues we have to base it on are very early in the series. You know, there's conversations about the galaxy class starships and how they have room for families. Like it's something novel. Uh, that's kind of a clue to me. Well, that Picard had that line in, in the pilot about Starfleet has decided to give me a boat full of children or something to that effect, which implies there are boats without children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so they've never really established whether that's the norm or not. Right. I'm going to guess that it's still not, and it's only the huge ships like the Galaxy-class stuff that it could even accommodate. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to see that in the next episode. It's a little small science ship, though. I believe it's the Vico. All right, and there was a kid there. Okay, yeah, that's true. So yeah. it has a family on it. Was that actually a Starfleet vessel or just a... Yeah, I think so. I, I, yeah, so it, it, was? Was a, it was a Starfleet science vessel. Okay, I mean, well, it looked, right. it, it looked like it had a Star you know, Federation design, so... Well, maybe they, they kept him in in the room with the endangered species, so the, <laughs> there's, no, there's no shielding, so Starfleet, yeah. you know, it doesn't really count. <laughs> yeah. um, um, there weren't any families on Voyager, were there? Not not till later on when people. It was a smaller. It was a smaller ship, though, right? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah, and I I agree. It's it's interesting. This is the first time I've watched all like all of DS Nine and then watched Next Gen right after, and it is the first time I've watched Alexander in Next Gen and thought about him in DS Nine because of that. Um, and you do feel a little bit like um, they had a better idea. I guess it's more obvious what to do with them here on Next Gen, but they had a better idea of what to do with them on Next Gen to illuminate Worf the character, mm-hmm. which is what we want. We want we want yeah. the guest guest people guest stars to you know illuminate our primary characters. Uh, I think that was a little more difficult. Like maybe they were a little more about. Alexander and a little less about Worf on DS9. I'm thinking about stuff like, you know, where he's coming of age on the mm-hmm. Klingon vessel, for example. Um, yeah, the thing with DS9, you know, when when Alexander's introduced in DS9, you know, it's almost like we go back to this we go back to this episode where they are they're they're not close and they're disconjointed. Um, whereas, you know, when we get to the end of DS or the end of Next Gen, there's no evidence of that. Their relationship in this in this storyline in, in Next Gen grows, and they become really close. And there's a really good father son oh. bond. And well, I think we did have. They, go ahead. Well, and then when then when you go back to DS Nine, it's almost like we start over where we are in this episode. Oh yeah, like their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the time it's over, I mean, if I recall correctly, one of the last times we saw him was just at Warp's wedding with Jadzia. So, you know, he'd gotten to the point where he was coming to his dad's wedding, and no, I'm talking about the end of primary. No, I'm talking about the end of um, Next Gen. Of, of you know, their relationship was really good in the Next Gen series, and then you know we find out in DS9 that it's really not. So yeah, they kind of like they kind of reset the drama. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see that. But at any rate, if we watch this episode without thinking about DS9, which, you know, hey, it's fair for us to have this discussion because we are Star Trek fans first, and we watch these episodes as Star Trek fans, you know, and fans of the universe. And, it, and hey, it all goes together. <laughs> oh, my God. Did, well, I don't want to get into that, but there was a... Lucasfilm put out a press release last week about um, basically saying all that stuff that was canon before is not canon anymore. Yeah, it was like holy Mary, Mother of God! It really, it really hit me. It, it I, my heart bled for all this the Star Wars thing because obviously there are plenty of people in the world that are as as into Star Wars as I am into Star Trek. And I just had this this image of Paramount or CBS putting out a press release someday that says Next Gen DS9 and Voyager officially never happened. Uh, it's no longer canon, and um, it's we're just gonna go with the JJ stuff and it's not really a <laughs> yeah. timeline. It is the timeline, so thanks, have a nice day. And it was just like <laughs> 
oh my god because it, this gets into exactly how we've talked about this at Infinite, i know but at any rate i saw that press release and i just couldn't believe it and i felt sorry for all this star wars nuts. um yeah you have to tell me i haven't i haven't read oh, this or god. heard about it can you imagine even just just putting out a press release just you know anyway i'm sorry okay so we could we'll talk more about that later off here if we need to, uh, if you haven't heard it's sad um Let's see. Uh, I, don't I feel like we're shortchanging this episode. Um, well, hmm. you did talk about the beast tour. I do. I mean, I've mentioned this before in the past. I do like um, when they when they do science stories, when they talk about technology and stuff like that. But um, it doesn't really fit with the war storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can kind of see your complaint there um, with the B story. But I did try kind of find it interesting. You know, like oh, new technology. This is how they would. Going to warp drive, but they're almost—it's almost like two separate episodes. You know, this is another thing that popped in my head while I was watching this episode. Like, if this was made today, it would be disappointing hour of television. But most television made when this was made wouldn't even hold up enough to say wouldn't even wouldn't even just play today. You know what I mean? So, so from that point of view, something like this is still. pretty damn good <laughs> you know um and again it's the, the characters and the performances and stuff and and i just i don't really care about the b story is it was kind of cool but it's not what the episode was about at all in the second i'm going to ask you guys what is this episode about and i'm pretty sure you're not even going to try to make something up about figuring out how to go to warp without warp. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, yeah, so, it has it has it has nothing to do with the A story. It's completely separate. Um, so, you know, but I I liked um I liked I liked the scenes with any scene with Worf and Troy. I, I watched this is the episode that I watched with my spouse, and uh, and she like turned to me and said, "Is Worf gonna date anybody on this ship at any point?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." <laughs> you know who? I'm like Troy. And she's, and she's I knew it. Yeah. So. I don't remember seeing. I, I don't know. Did you guys? Do you guys remember this in season five? Watching this episode, watching these episodes. Any anytime Troy and Warp were talking, I'm thinking they're really compatible. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't remember thinking that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, kind of did. I thought they kind of did. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's, 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 it's in the moment kind of thing, right? I mean, we've already had conversations about how very different, you know, the Jadzia thing was mm-hmm. and how they seemed just soulmates compared to this. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, I think Alexander's arrival helped make it that way. You know, all of a sudden there's kind of this, there's this, you know, she's, she's like serving a role and then you can start kind of envisioning it in some way. It's less about him and her. Well, then why didn't she get with Data after hero worship? <laughs> Maybe if the kid would have stuck around, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what's this episode about? Um, well, I guess you could say it's kind of obvious about parenthood. You you could say mm-hmm. um, yeah. becoming a father, being responsible for your child. I mean, all those things can um, fit into this episode. And it's about you know other methods for warp drive, Brian. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander came in like a soliton wave and just disrupted the <laughs> I don't know um, yeah I mean you know it's the it's the how one's life totally changes with one variable you know the the very big variable of a child and and uh, you gotta totally change your way of thinking someone like Worf you know the way he's got sometimes has a rigid idea of the way things should be and um uh, totally rocked his world you know and uh well yeah that that's kind of getting at what i was thinking about for what it's about um because troy says something to worth a lot something like you've both got a lot of healing to do you know maybe you should try to do it together something like that and that's what makes him kind of reconsider and ask alexander to stay um but it kind of made me think about again my own experience as a father uh, but anyway so it, it, this idea that you know, you both get something out of it, you know. And that's what I think is kind of interesting here, is that Worf has to change. So I like that idea. Uh, as opposed to hero worship, which we will discuss in just a moment. First, 
Six degrees for new ground. Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. This is the first time Brian Bonsall will play Worf's son, Alexander, but it will not be the last. How many times will he perform the role? Three, five, or seven episodes? Mm, seven. You're correct. It was seven. Adam, Richard McGonagall plays Dr. Jadar, the scientist who thinks you can have warp without a warp drive. Mm-hmm. In Voyager's sixth and seventh seasons, he played Commander Peter Harkins. Harkins was in charge of the Pathfinder Project. What was the Pathfinder Project's mission? Pathfinder's mission? Um, to get Voyager home? No. Steve? Huh, I thought it was something like that. Um, Pathfinder. To find a Voyager? Nope. It was a Starfleet communications project, and its goal was to communicate with Voyager. Uh, okay. Alrighty. Moving on. Hero Worship, Season 5, Episode 11, Production Number 211. Original air date, January 27, 1992. Directed by Patrick Stewart. Story by Hilary J. Bader. Teleplay by Joe Minoski. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Joshua Harris as Timothy and Harley Vinton as Hutchinson. The Enterprise makes its way to a nearby starbase that has recently lost contact with the Vico, a research vessel sent to explore the interior of a black cluster. Upon locating the vessel, Picard sends an away team to investigate the situation. Data and Riker are shocked when they discover a little boy trapped in the wreckage of the small ship. After several unsuccessful attempts, Data is finally able to rescue the boy and transport him back to safety. How are you feeling? I am functioning within established parameters. Established parameters? <laughs> you sound like Data. I am an android. I see. Well, let's go for our walk, shall we? That would be acceptable. Hero worship. That's suicide, Data. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the shields. Thanks, Data. Do it. Yeah. Um, Mr. Caesar, first thoughts. Um, <laughs> like I mentioned in the last episode, I kind of enjoy the the science parts of different episodes. And when I was watching this, and this is totally off the um, actual a story of the episode, mm-hmm. I'm watching this, and I was thinking, you know, if they, you know, if they ever start making another uh, Star Trek series, it would be really cool to see all the scientific discoveries that they've made over the last. You know, this episode came out what 91, 92, mm-hmm. so there's been umptitude of, of different discoveries about the universe and space and that kind of stuff, and so that kind of stuff just kind of interests me, and that's one of the reasons I like Star Trek. So I'm like, I'd actually like to see this episode now, but more the Black Cluster, what that is and what it mm-hmm. does and where it was formed. That actually kind of interested me a little bit more than the A story. Yeah, but the Black I, Cluster, Cluster is kind of cool. The one thing that bothered me about that is the mystery of what's going on. I'm sure you guys are the same. You, you're you're so ahead of it. Yeah, you know, so th- they're going to be destroyed in a few minutes, and you're like, uh, turn off the shields. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Increase the shields. I have done so, and the phenomenon is getting worse. <laughs> well, you better <laughs> increase, increase them the again. again. Yeah, increase them again. Wow, it's increased tenfold now. What a God. Okay, increase them again. I mean, once once you're ahead of it, every every second between then and the time they figure it out, figure it out is like a a, a year in in um story time <laughs> you know it's like painful it takes forever so that was one one minor complaint about uh, the science story is once i'm ahead of it i'm really bored until i figure it out just like any any mystery you know but you were you were saying about the a story um the a story is interesting just in the fact that you know you get it's data you know you get to see him interact with the little boy and going through that trauma, it's interesting to see Data. He's asking Troy, like, you know, how should <laughs> all this? I did kind of find this funny. Data pretty much has no experience with children. He's like, Counselor Troy, how should I proceed? And she's just like, you know, just kind of wing it and see what happens. <laughs> 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 just be with him. So I found that kind of funny. 
you know, if you, you know, if you, if you, you ask uh, me about the birds and the bees, <laughs> swing it. <laughs> that would have been an interesting, like, deleted scene. You know, uh, Troy walks in on on Data teaching, and that doesn't not even have to be a birds and the bees joke here, but you know, anything could be watching a, you know, really violent movie or something. I don't know. <laughs> No emotion. It's such spectacle or whatever. Yeah. I did mean, uh, the kid's a very good painter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really one of the few times I don't recall uh, noticing that before the date is a lefty, or at least he paints left-handed sometimes, or whatever he chooses. I guess, but I guess that has to do with um, Brent. I guess Brent left-handed. I guess I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I was saying in the our previous discussion like I, I think this kid this kid's okay the only scene that he's kind of bad in really is that kind of one of the first scenes I think this scene in sick bay like every time he grimaces it's um, I don't know he's not he's not very he's not terribly good there but like when he's playing his android version he's fine you know yeah yeah I'm sure that's easier to do than the more emotional stuff but you know there's never any time when I'm completely lost in the, in the idea that he's this character that never happens in the way that it does with, you know, any, any of our main actors in this episode, or even Bontal's performance as Alexander in the previous episode. So that definitely holds the episode back. It's hard to imagine, but let's try and imagine if it was a really good actor in the role, would that significantly affect the episode? I'm not sure that it would enough that I'd, I'd rather have seen it that way, maybe, but... There, there was a common thread in the last episode in this one that I found. Um, both teachers weren't very likable. Yeah. Mm. What, why would you have another teacher? How many... Well, no. <laughs> this one, this episode, it bugged me, because, like, the kid just lost not just... Yeah. I mean, losing one parent. <laughs> he lost not both parents. More than that, like, just like Troy says, his entire world. Like, where yeah. is his home, his family... All gone, and what is it like? Well, make sure you get to bed early tonight because you're going to school tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> what? And then you get there, and it's like, oh, playtime's over. Stop. Yeah, you get there, and then that was the other thing too. He's so he's in school, and the teacher's like, "Hey, you little brat, <laughs> uh, sculpture time is over. Get out your book." Okay, aside from the fact that what kind of a dated. What kind of a dated educational program is that? Because that's, you know, that's like 80s education right there. That is not how a modern school system works. You know, you, you know, by today's, and when I say modern, I mean, we're recording this in 2014. By today's standards, that is incredibly dated. You know, you, you encourage the children. You have these different zones set up. And, you know, I've seen this stuff firsthand. I know that's the more modern way of thinking. What's it going to be like hundreds of years from now? Okay. But that... Even if he hadn't just, you know, lost his parents in a yeah. terrible <laughs> yeah. way, uh, even then it would have been like, uh, what? But, but of yeah. course, on top of that, like, my parents were killed yesterday, and this guy's getting on to me in, when I'm in class that I shouldn't be about moving on from place. Uh, yeah, it, it, it made no sense whatsoever. That, that entire sequence, and maybe that, that hurts. Maybe that makes it harder for me to buy the performance from the kid, too, because it's just so completely makes no sense and totally implausible. Did that not bother you guys at all, that, that concept of why is he even in school to begin? Uh, yeah, I, I was going to bring that up when I said I didn't particularly care for the teacher in this, in, in this role. Besides the fact that he has um, red tights on, it's not a very nice <laughs> choice they went with for the teacher. But yeah, it was, it, it, I did find it peculiar. I'm like, didn't his parents just die the day before why why is he in school shouldn't they be like you know in sort of therapy counseling or letting him sleep or something something you know <laughs> rise and shine get up you got a pop quiz today <laughs> you, i hope you studied last night <laughs> you're messing around with toys you, you obviously had lots of time to study last night you didn't have to you know mess with your parents or anything <laughs> <laughs> it's an ant, but you're so smart that you should get this right. You got these, <laughs> you got this big court, these big quarters to yourself. You should have time to study. <laughs> Jeez, oh my god, yeah, lordy. Uh, well, all right. So 
that aside, um, I think it was, you know what, this, this is the previous episode. If you just told me the, you know, couple sentence synopsis of Newground, I would have thought, I don't know. You tell me this couple of sentence synopsis of, or, or at, at, at most I would have thought, well, I think we've kind of seen that before with Horf, right? You tell me the sentence or two synopsis of Hero Worship, and I would have thought, that sounds cool. We have not really seen that. That's kind of neat. Um, but then the difference between a good idea and good execution. You know, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I think all of us could have probably agree that the interactions between the, the kid and Data were, were pretty good. Um, I think it's just all the surrounding stuff. Another problem I had with the episode is like, okay, you're going to go into this potentially really dangerous, you know, black cluster based on the word of a child who's just gone through a traumatic experience and you have no evidence to back up what he's told you. So you're just going to yeah, go in there and just see what happens. You have evidence to back up the idea that he's lying to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I kind of had a problem with that as well. Plus, Black Coast Cluster just sounds like some kind of dark, <laughs> dark chocolate treat to me. I mean, I think I was like say, Russell Stover's new Black Cluster. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if anything, that's like it's called the Black Cluster. Don't go in there. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like some kind of uh, series of small islands that pirates visited or something. Yeah. Too, you know, it's like would you eat a dessert called Death on a Stick? No. <laughs> I'm not. Well, also, like they specifically say in the episode that the ship that was, you know, the ship that he was on was specifically designed to go in the black cluster, and then they're like, "Well, we'll just make some modifications. <laughs> the Empire will be fine." Yeah. That's a, that's a very specialized operation, you know. It's like the the admirals all around. We need to create a line of ships designed to <laughs> penetrate the black cluster. You know, if if the boy, if Timothy had not survived, well, I suppose if the ship hadn't been, you know, under in distress, the Enterprise never would have come there. But let's say if Timothy hadn't survived, and also been on the bridge when the Enterprise was about to be destroyed. It, from the way this episode was produced, mm-hmm. it certainly appears that Data only had the thought about, you know, the shields uh, exaggerating the situation because of something that Timothy said. So my point here is, if Timothy had not been there, the Enterprise would have been destroyed. Mm. That's kind of nutty. Yeah, this is why they had to have... Uh, the well, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have gone in the Black Cluster to begin with. They went in the black well, cluster to Timothy, find an enemy ship. What if Timothy had not survived? They still would have gone to the cluster, but they wouldn't have had him there to tell them. But see, I thought the whole reason they went into the black cluster was to find the ship that attacked the science vessel. Well, I think they went into the black cluster, cluster um, with the main reason of figuring out what happened, but their working theory included a ship. But even that couldn't be explained by, some, you know, like a boarding party didn't explain things. So at any rate, yeah, yeah, the finer, the 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 broad strokes of the episode weren't very good, but I think if we got to the the stronger points of the episode, I I really enjoyed the scene, you know, when he's when Data's combing his hair back and he's explaining to yeah. him what it's like to be a an android, and the, the that's what makes this episode you know bearable is those those scenes that between Data and the <coughs> the boy. Yeah, and that scene's like the best scene in the episode for me, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's touching, and there's a real you know data's being physical with a human being, you know mm-hmm. he's touching him. I mean this is there's something about touch that I don't know. It's very you know obviously it's intimate, but I mean in in the context of this show, which is obviously a colder show, arguably and comparatively um, than some other things and as far as the way humans interact and the lack of drama between our primary characters. Um, so to see data having this kind of interaction with Timothy, it was striking, and it was um, unusual and something we haven't seen very much of. Um, so I, I did, I like that scene a lot. And and the, the general story of um, this boy dealing with this trauma by buddying up with Data and wanting to act like an android to turn off his emotion... That's a great idea, That's, which is why I said a minute ago, you know, it's a very good idea on paper, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, I think that those parts of the episode actually did work. It's just the, 
surrounding yeah. stuff that we help. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah, so stuff like stuff like the you know it, it, it's really important that we feel this kid's trauma, so we understand why he's doing these things like pretending to be an android, and that trauma is completely undermined and uh, by stuff like going to school the next day. <laughs> you know, if you get the chicken pox, you don't go to school. Right. If you had a flu, you wouldn't go to school. If your parents die, you can go to school. Yeah. I don't know about that. So, yeah. um, Steve, would that be your favorite scene in this episode as well, or at least one of the ones with between Data and Timothy? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I, that struck me as it kind of gets to the core of it too. You know, I mean, he's uh, obviously the the what what Timothy needs is a defense mechanism, you know. He identifies with Data not only because he saved his life, but he needed a way to cope, you know. And um, they they bond because you know we we gravitate towards what we need. Sometimes we don't even realize, you know, that's what we're doing, you know, in in, in moments of crisis. Um. Right, on on a little lighter note, I, I always every time that Jordy has something serious to say, he has to like walk off a little bit be very dramatic <laughs> you see data this is how it is i was in the fire <laughs> everybody's yeah. walking around him working like what's our chief engineer doing what's he doing yeah. he's talking about the most traumatic experience of his entire life for no reason well, yeah well, i mean that's that that's that a good example too like yeah it's rare for us to get insight into jordy's past Right. So that's really cool. I mean, that's it's very rare. We'd never get the kind of origin story for him like we do for, I don't know, Data or something. So that's really cool to hear something about his past. Um, but it seems so like like it's a stretch to tie it into right. this boy's trauma. It's 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 it's, it's, an, it's odd time for him to step back and tell that story. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's just it, yeah, it was it's just, just it was like everything just, else in the episode. It like undermines itself in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just overly dramatic. You know, he has to walk to the side and sit next to the warp core, put his hands together, and be like, "Data, let me tell you a story about me." Uh, and my my dad went up into the chimney, to come down as Santa, and he died. And three weeks later, this smell. <laughs> That's what I feel like. That's, this isn't about me. It's about Timothy. And <laughs> when I almost burned it, but I still went to school. The yeah, when I had to go to school the next day. Yeah. they grilled me about it. And <laughs> it was Christmas Day, and my dad had just died in front of me, and I still went to school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's this episode about? Um, grief. Would be one of the key things about this. It's grief, um, coping mechanisms, trying to you know, um, you know, things of that nature. Yeah, I already kind of alluded to. I think what I yeah. felt where it was going. You know, finding, doing what you need to do, main connections that you need to just to survive and to cope with big things. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of you you know, and also kind of a bonding thing for data. You know, it's. There was a kind of a, even though he's not obviously not the bio, the father of this child, nor will he be. But I mean, it's kind of similar to what Worf went through in the previous episode. Obviously, Troy has the same role in this episode as she did in the last one. Um, yeah. So yeah, there are a lot of similarities between these two episodes. I think it hurt hero worship being right after Newground. Mm. I think if it had been later in the season, mm. it probably would have been better off. Um, but you know, this episode, we have an answer for what it's about. It holds up. It's not a bad episode. No, it's got its flaws for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And when you watch it back to back with New Ground, it it hurts a bit. Uh, but this is not a bad episode. We have an answer for what it's about. It's trying to be about a, a, a theme, a human, a human theme that's always going to be worthy of a discussion. Okay, um, let's move on to. Six degrees for hero worship. Steve has one. Adam has none. So Adam, you get to choose. Are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Harley Venton plays transporter chief Hutchinson, the guy who is so terrible at his job that he can't beam a tiny kid through a little interference. <laughs> Earlier this season, hey, Steve thought that was funny. <laughs> Earlier this season, he played another transporter chief, Ensign Collins, in an episode where he beamed in Ensign Rowe. 
Name the episode. Um, is, it, is it Ensign Row? Yes, it's Ensign that's, Row. The, that's the name of the episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> one to one. Steve, in this episode, the kids sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. What does this song mean? Uh, they sing Row, Row Your Boat in this episode? Yeah, in, in the class. Oh, okay. Why am I not remembering this? It's right It's right near the end when he's... Uh, okay. Yeah. What does the song Row, Row, Your Boat mean? I'll give you a hint. Spock. According to Spock, what does this song mean? Oh, God. I mean, I vaguely remember this. Um... I don't know. Life is but a dream. I don't know. Um, Adam? Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Star Trek V. Um, um, what does row, row, row your boat mean? Um, I guess to Spock it would mean camaraderie, you know, being with his no, two he best buds. He was confused. He, he basically thought it was nonsense. It doesn't mean anything because life is not a dream. Mm-hmm. So it was a trick question. Oh, he found it, he found it incomprehensible. Oh, oh. very good. Yeah. So one to one. Moving two, on. He threw two trick questions at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you got yours. Moving on. Violations, Season 5, Episode 12, Production Number 212, Original Air Date, February 3rd, 1992, Directed by Robert Werner, Story by Sherry Goodhearts, T. Michael, and Pamela Gray, Teleplay by Pamela Gray and Jerry Taylor, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Ben Lemon as Jev, David Sage as Tarman, Rick Fitz as Martin, and Eve Brenner as Enod. The Enterprise makes its way towards Keldar 4, carrying a delegation of Eulerians, an alien race of telepathic historians who conduct research by probing their subjects' long-forgotten memories. When Troy is found unexplainably unconscious, a ship-wide investigation is begun that seems to lead back to the Eulerians. If you have no objections, Dr. Crusher would like to examine you and your group. To what end? She's just trying to eliminate the possibility that one of you might be carrying an organism that was harmful to Deanna. I'm not implying that you did anything intentional. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of the mystery. We have nothing to hide. If you wish to spend time examining us... Fine. Thank you. Violations. You know, the one thing that amazed me in this episode is kind of near the end, uh, when, uh, what's his name, Tarman... So he says it's been three centuries since something like since we treated anyone for this form of rape. He actually uses the word rape, mm-hmm. which I did not remember that. I don't know why that seemed like a big deal to me, but I'm, I'm, I, I can't think of any other time in Star Trek when they use the word rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is about as dark an episode as you're going to get for generations. I kind of felt. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really have a. Yeah, it's a dark episode. It's a, I, I enjoyed it, the episode, but yeah, it's pretty dark from start to finish. Hmm. Steve, your first thoughts? Yeah, I like it okay. Um, the, I, I certainly remembered it well. Um, I think it is dark, but it's also got a lot of funny stuff in it. I mean, I, for some reason, I, get, I crack up at different things. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think oh. like part of it is like, okay, like... Warf hitting the guy at the end. I think it's oh yeah, so funny. Boom, yeah. and the guy's down. And then, <laughs> and then just some of the you know the when they when they're like they're experiencing this phenomenon. You know when they're getting invaded by these memories, all these weird camera angles and weird stuff. And it's <laughs> at some point it seems so over the top. Sometimes yeah, it's a little bit much. You know, some of that stuff was like in camera, like they used oddball yeah nutty lenses and stuff. Um, and I and I don't know. I, I totally understand what the director was going for, and I did read he had to get like special permission from yeah. Rick Berman to do that. But I mean, that's in cameras. Once it's shot that way, it's stuck, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's better the way it is than if he had just shot it normally. But I don't know. I think about some of the stuff 
uh, DS9 every time they went into the see the prophets, you know, that was done in a way, and it was done. We can tell that it's something in somebody's mind or in some way. It's not, you know. Um, you can tell what they're going for. Here, it's so out there that it's. There was one shot in particular during Riker's violation mm. where he's standing there and like his head is all tiny and his body looks so big. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like I almost it's you want to laugh a little bit, but this is supposed to be like a mind rape, and it's it should not be funny. So yeah, I agree. I agree that that was maybe that that was too much. Yeah, Steve, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, that one um, warped is, you know, just a backhand and that guy's out. It's, it's, it's so and he, it, it was like Corey Gaff, so he backhands him, the guy spins around and Worf catches him. And so yeah. like, yeah. like skating move, you know. They were just... <laughs> yeah, it's like a little dance or something. Right, right. I did think at times that um, the it kind of it kind of dragged, it felt like it was dragging a bit in terms of, you know, there, there was a mystery when they didn't know who was doing it or there might be it's tied to those people, but not sure how or why. And I don't know, maybe it was just me on the mood I was in, but it felt like well, I'm dragging. I think what hurt that in the t- opening teaser, you know, the, the pre pre um, title sequence, the opening teaser, we see, what's his name? Jeb. I kept wanting to call him Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we see Jeb. Sinister it ends on like a shot of Jeff's face with like some dark, mysterious music. All of a sudden, right, right. Yeah. I mean, well, no, after this pretty playful scene between Keiko, first time, and I think the only time we see her without Miles, by the way, in the whole episode. Um, uh, at, right after this fairly playful thing between Keiko and Tarman with the mind stuff, and then we sl- slide the camera over to Jeff, and it's all super dark. Yeah. Well, there's that. There's no mystery now. The yeah, entire episode. Yeah. Yeah, and even in the violations, we saw him anyway from the very first one. So it's a little bit weird because it's like they're doing a mystery, and we're getting the whole side of it. We're getting the next gen side, Um, but there's no fun in that mystery as an audience member because we've been told from literally the opening teaser the answer that. I kind of actually kind of liked them. There's a scene uh, with Jordy by himself, kind of talking with the computer, and he's he's going through. Uh, this is interesting. I've never done this before. I'm, I, I'm standing up to do our podcast at this moment because I'm so tired that this is going to keep me awake. Okay. It's like three nights of four hours of sleep, so I needed this. But this is interesting. I feel like I can all jump around and stuff. <laughs> of course, now I've lost my my train of thought. Oh, uh, Jordy. So there's a scene with Jordy, like where he's. It's probably less. I don't know, a couple of minutes, maybe at least a minute, at least a solid minute of screen time, which is incredibly valuable in an episode of Star Trek. Where it's just him talking to the computer, going through a list of like chemicals and try and to try and have the computer analyze it from a different point of view. Or yeah. okay, well, what chemicals? How do they break down? Could they maybe go into this? And that entire scene, contextually, is pointless because we already know the answer to it, you know. Um, but we get to see a scene, a, a rare opportunity to see what you assume happens a lot. Yeah, where he fails because. They have to. They don't. They just. It would be boring to show us the hour it takes him to right. draw the things he tries to fix the warp cord that doesn't work. They're not going to show us that. Right. Right. Uh, they show us the one that breaks it or the one that fixes it. Um, but to actually get to see him going about his process, that, that was actually kind of neat. And if I divorce it from the episode, I like that. Mm-hmm. But within the context of the episode, it 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 seemed like the, its purpose was not to educate me about the way uh, Jordy is in his day-to-day job, which is the part of it I found interesting. It seemed like its purpose was, in fact, to illuminate the mystery, but I already knew the answer to the mystery. So for, in con- and contextually, it was more... waste of time. That purpose. Yeah. 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 Well, why do you think they decided to go that way? Did you, was there any reading? Did you find anything about that? Like, why did they kind of... The one thing I found did it in reverse? It, it, this episode was... Um, it kind of came out from remember the episode Night Terrors, yeah. So this episode was a, was spun off like portions like when they were spitballing ways to go with Night Terrors. Some of that stuff came out and then turned what eventually turned into this episode. Um, and originally they had written, um, they had written a violation 
for every single of our, I think, of our main characters, and then some. I think Roe had one as well, where we got to see some of that backstory of whatever crazy thing happened to get her into hot water. Um, hmm. So that kind of would have been interesting. But uh, Jordy had one, and it was the fire as a kid. Um, and they, although they never used it in the episode, they liked the idea so much that the guy in the previous episode took the idea and wrote it in. Maybe that's why it felt out of I just thought of that, but yeah, maybe that's why it didn't feel like it quite fit hero worship. Anyway, um, but that is something we should talk about real quick. Uh, that is probably the, the coolest thing in the episode, of course. I know you guys like Star Trek in the same way I do, so you, you enjoy getting to have some of this this pseudo back history that we never got. Like, so we kind of get to see Picard take, mm-hmm. you know, Beverly to see the dead Jack Crusher. We kind of get to see the moment when um, Troy tells Riker, and we find out that it was Troy that says it to Riker, not the other way around, or not a mutual thing. Troy says to Riker, "Hey, we're both on the Enterprise now, so we're going to have to not have a relationship." Mm-hmm. You know. Um, that that stuff is actually kind of cool. Now, the, the the downside to it is how much of it actually happened, and how much of it was yeah, um, Jeff messing with it. Maybe it was all made up. I don't know, but it was kind of cool if we think at least some of it maybe was real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Did I think you the, the, the real. I think the Deanna Riker stuff because she actually talks about it later on in the episode after she comes out of her consciousness, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. I kind of assumed that up until the point where he's forcing himself on her, you know, it's it's pretty much real or something, you know, or how it happened, you know. So then you would say the same thing about the Picard. Yeah, I would. I would yeah. think so. Well, well I mean, just yeah, taking we, place yeah. of someone in a in a memory, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've heard it, we've heard that scene described. We uh, that scene's been described, right? That Picard, you know, you know. And Jack Crusher, I guess maybe not into that detail, but you know that um, Picard was um, his commanding officer, and he kind of ordered him on this mission that killed him. So you kind of get it's kind of in your head. Is that what happened? Well, I think it wasn't Picard his commander. He was he died under yeah, command, right? He was okay. Yeah, I believe so. I knew that he brought him home, and I knew that he was involved. I just didn't know that he was actually his commander and sent him in. Yeah, it was something of that nature. Okay. Actually, how cool is it that they got the same actor to play for about a few, like half a second, a few frames, Jack Crusher, the same guy that did yeah. hologram version for Wesley season or two back. That was really neat. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, if you're a, you're a, an actor that needs well, work. In, in fantasy land, uh, a Star Trek fan, you know, since we love it for the, the reality of the universe, they would never, ever change actors ever, and every actor would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so to bring somebody in for a few shot, a few frames like that is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, even even the, for the actor wanting work, you know, that still means that still means everybody at Paramount had to think. Okay, well, let's have a flash of Jack here. We had somebody play him then. So let's see if we can get that same guy. See if he's available. Yeah, that's just that's just neat. Anyway, I pr- I appreciate it. Star Trek producers, thank you. I appreciated that. I noticed. That's what I meant to say. I noticed. And <laughs> I, I, I applaud you. Um, so, why is it this, this episode is clunky? Well, were, they it's shooting, were, they, were they trying to make something darker than they're capable of? Well, I think we've alluded like to they it didn't, before. They didn't go far enough to make it work? Well, to me, I think you guys have alluded to it before. I think there's times where things kind of just get stretched out. And, you know, when things are stretched out, you already know who the, the villain, you know, the bad guy is when there is no mystery. You're talking about the story stretched out, not Riker's body. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, his, 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 I thought his head got shrunk, not stretched. Yeah, well, his, <laughs> his torso was stretched. So. <laughs> no, I think, I think those are the kind of the weakness. You know, you think it would have been a better episode if the mystery was left up in the air? We did like know from the get go that you know this guy's the prime suspect, and you know throughout the whole episode, everything leads back to the this um this group of um people. So it doesn't leave a whole lot of mystery to it. It's like, well, one of these guys is doing it, and and it's probably the guy that looked really sinister in the tease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I, I think I think the biggest problem is the the mystery without a mystery for us um, aspect, and then after that maybe just some of the stylistic choices that kind of made it things some things humorous that shouldn't have been humorous. I wonder if that was a if the composer made that choice on his own, like that opening teaser thing to make it dark, or if that was you know if well, I mean, something no, in the script that says it we see Jev look ominous or something. Oh, on a side note, how many episodes would that ruin if the crew could hear the score? Because, you know, they'd be walking out... I'm sorry, folks, I make more jokes when I'm really tired like this. They'd be walking out of 10 forward, like, whoa, stop! It's like, okay. Do you hear that music? Yeah. Who's in this room right now? Somebody here is going to do something dastardly. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say it was the composer. I think that would be more of a written thing or a director thing. It was like, why would you hold on a character that long if there wasn't some sort yeah, of... Regardless of yeah, if they did, it would have been in the script to go to the, to show that guy, you know, at the end of that By scene. himself with his hands crossed, looking... Trying on his mustache. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, laughing. <laughs> but, so, 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 Next Gen, what should have been capable of... Well, you know what? what maybe if it's not chain of command part two if that's not my favorite episode of next gen it's second it's probably my favorite that's pretty freaking dark that's like the darkest hour of any star trek yeah you know yeah that's dark and they pull that off completely and now a big part of that is because you just got david david warner standing in front of patrick stewart you know two powerhouse actors um but that's incredibly dark and that is they pull that off so I don't. I don't think violations was overshooting their ability. No, that's only a year later. Chain of Command Part Two. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're they're different stylized episodes. Where this one is, I don't know. I don't. Is it trying to be a mystery or is it not trying to be? Is it trying to, you know, like let's yeah. watch the characters toil? Yeah. You're, in you this know, you're mystery? right. Because if you're going to deal with rape, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't even like saying the word. It's it's such a terrible. It's it's such a disgusting thing right mm-hmm. I, I that i'm uncomfortable using the word and when they say it in the episode near the end it was nutty to me and i had to mention it um when you're going to deal with something like that do not give me a mystery you yeah. know chain of command part two it's part two they didn't do it in one episode so they had they they basically gave that the torture stuff to its own episode Mm-hmm. Right. Obviously, they're not dealing with rape, but I mean, when you're going to deal with something that dark and heavy, they just do it start to finish, and they get all the other stuff out of the way in the previous episode, in the part one. You know, I always thought it was funny that they even called them part one and part two because they're so disparate yeah. episodes. I think the only reason they did that is because they're just at the time. If, if DS9 had done it, they wouldn't have called them that. Right. One and two. You know, it's just next gen to have the uh, the idea of a story continuing from last week. They had to be called a part two, maybe. But it, it, the point is. If you're going to do something that that heavy, just do it and put, give yourself over to it. And here, maybe that's it. Maybe Caesar, what you just said, is kind of hitting the nail on the head there. Maybe just maybe just inter- even inter- having these other elements, like a mystery element, for example. Um, maybe that just wasn't the way to go here, and maybe that maybe that holds back their ability to deal with something as weighty and terrible uh, as rape. I mean, you know, I mean, if you look at the Crusher and Riker, mine, mine rapes, if you want to call them that, they're not as they're not as horrific as the Deanne thing because you know. So basically, he's taking a um, person that she cares for very de- dearly and distorting mm-hmm. that into his own perverse. So those scenes are those scenes feel like rape. They don't feel like rape with Riker and um and um and the Doctor Crusher. So um so yeah, well, he's I'm, got. You've got the 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 mind violation, the mind right. rape for three different characters, but there's only one rape rape. That's that's that, disturbing. That sounds terrible. I sound like a GOP man guy or something. There's only one uh, physical sexual you yeah. know, violation going on and that's inside the Riker or the Riker Troy in Troy's Yeah. Imagination intrusions, yeah, yeah. In, her, in her intrusion, right, 
Right. So really you have two problems. And one is they even tried to make a mystery out of something. And and when you have something they could, fo- you know, they could have focused on the um, the psychology of it all. Like, OK, if you're going to reveal this guy's doing it and there's no mystery involved, then let's let's explore that. What's what's his motivation? What's going on with this guy? You know, I don't know something. But yeah. then, but then when you, let's do a mystery and let's make it not a mystery on top of it, because what if they had just everything just like it is, except not had that. You know, if if Troy's hallucination had been a, had slight, been slightly more benign, like the other two, and just had the alien, you know, good old Jeb inserted into it again, but but not such a, you know, something as terrible as as what physical happened? rape, yeah, yeah. Maybe that would have balanced out the thing a right, little more. Right, right. I don't know. Or I mean, you know, I almost you almost kind of want to watch the episode from like you said from the end when they're all around the table and the um you know Jeb's father is talking about this hasn't happened in three years. So I mean, it might have been a better episode if they dealt with the psychology of that. You know. Yeah. Well, look at what Picard says right there at the end. He says, um, um, "Was it like this? The seed of violence remains mm-hmm. in us all, despite his point is that like despite our evolution, that's still there." Mm-hmm. That sounds like an interesting episode to me. Yeah, like I mean, how, how did that guy get to the point of acting this way? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, I would say yeah, the 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 end scene was probably one of the strongest. What causes scenes. him to act like this? You're right. We don't get any of that. Mm-hmm. None. You get a little bit. And the only thing that you kind of get is that him and his father have this weird um, competitive relationship, and that's kind of all you really get. Well, for any uh, level of psychology, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this episode has obviously inspired conversation for us. I think I think I mean, that's worth something. Um, I think the episode misses the mark, but um, it's interesting that they wanted to have this conversation. Um, so it sounds like we're kind of well, well you know, now let's do something more concrete. What's it about? Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I think you could point a lot of it toward that last scene that we were just talking about, you know, um, violence, you know, where Picard is talking about there's violence in all of us and we all have to be aware of it or it'll consume us. So, um, and I think you see that in this character, Jeb, he seems like, yeah, now I'm calling him Jeb. Jeb. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you know, if we would have gotten a little bit more about, from that character, his motivations and that kind of thing, I think we would have, I think I agree with you, we would have had a better episode. But if we're going to go with what it is today or what, what it is when it was made, it's, I mean, it's more about psychological intrusion, more or less, into, into somebody's own private affairs. I mean, the best way you could kind of describe that right now is, um, is if, you know, I were to hack into, you know, your private computer and find all your, your private stuff. I don't know. That might be kind of a stretch. Steve. Yeah, I, I think it's one of these that's trying to be something that doesn't quite get there. I mean, you know, he gives a speech at the end, Picard does, and that's not a nice thing, and that would have been nice to it all focus on that, but it it doesn't because you're either distracted with, um, a, a, you know, your character's trying to solve a mystery that you already answer to three minutes in or distracted by, you know, camera tricks that look like you're watching a Tex Avery cartoon or something, you know? So it's just kind of a mix of that, all that stuff, I think, just makes it distracting, and you ne- they never quite get to that point. I do like that Troy fights back physically at the end. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot, actually. I like that it was she wasn't just the helpless girl that uh, they rush in and save. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. All right, let's move on to... Six degrees for violations. The score is one to one, gentlemen. This is for the win. Who's going first? I'll go first. All right, Caesar. Rick Fitz plays Dr. Martin, the doctor that should not have left Dr. Crusher all by herself. He probably feels guilt about that, which is why we don't see him again. <laughs> In voice. <laughs> oh, I'm still here. I'm knocking him out of the park today, Steve. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> Oh, Lord. In Voyager's fourth season, he played a member of the Zal species that gets wiped from history by a Krenum time weapon thanks to Kurtwood Smith's Anorex. Mr. Caesar, name this two-parter. And as always, when I do titles, it's because I think the titles are cool or memorable in some way. And I just always love this 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 two-part title, two-parter title from Voyager. Um, is it the longest year? You're so close, but 
that is not it, Steve. Uh, gosh. Yeah, it's some. I remember this. And this was like in, um, the, you know, this was in the fourth season, but they actually mentioned it, I think, in the second season? Maybe third. No, the second season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's something like that answer. I'm not, not quite getting like, can get my mouth around it or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't recall. Year of Hell. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Okay, Steve, this is for the win. Mm-hmm. Eve Brenner plays the female. Julian, named Inad, the woman with the smiling white ponytails. Hmm. In Voyager's third season, she played Corinna Morel in the episode Remember. Morel's memories about her illicit romance with an Inarian minority uh, and the Inarians wiping out that minority are transferred to what member of Voyager's crew? Uh, I think I'm remembering the right one. Is it uh, Bolana Torres? You are correct. It was Blana Torres. Two to one. Steve takes it for the day. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. Um, you know, and there was one thing that I have to mention before we go. We don't talk about a lot of other Star Trek podcasts on our show because our show is specifically, you know, a reviews show. Uh, but I know many of our listeners, most of our listeners that have contacted me over the years, um, they listen to multiple Star Trek podcasts. There was a guy named Brian Baker of the Lou Trek show who passed away recently. Renee sent a message to me about it. Our hearts go out to anybody. It's a small kind of family of Star Trek podcasts. We didn't know them, and I didn't listen to that particular podcast. But uh, on the other hand, it made me think about, you know, how much I appreciate that every couple of weeks I get to talk to you guys about Star Trek, and we've been doing this for a couple of years, and God willing, we'll continue and... um, but who knows what could happen any day to any one of us. So while we're on, on here together and our wonderful listeners are tuned in, I want to thank everybody and say it's great. And I enjoy it. And I look forward to it every couple of weeks. All right. So on that super happy note, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. You can send us an email. That's trekcompanion at gmail.com. And we look forward to discussing the next three episodes in two weeks. And until then, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.